Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Reverend Piwa Langeni. As a queer, black, trans person from an immigrant family, the Reverend Piwa Langeni is quite skilled at detecting and decreasing various societal gaps, especially with, for, those with multiple minoritized identities. Since ordination in 2011, Piwa has served in just about every local church setting possible. A thriving progressive church, multi-charged rural churches, a large suburban church, small churches deeply rooted in political and social justice, and a new church start nonprofit hybrid. They currently serve as an ambassador for innovation and engagement in the United Church of Christ Center for Analytics, Research, Development, and Data. Piwa is also the owner of a few small creative businesses, including their most recent adventures in fashion design. They solo parent an adult daughter who challenges them in brilliance and beauty. In their free time, Piwa enjoys reading, upcycling, 90s R&B, dad jokes, and creating all manner of things. All right, welcome to the show, Reverend Piwa Langeni. Thanks for being here. Uh, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Um, yeah, um, I uh, am just really geeked to be able to, you know, engage in faith and everything. You know, I um I uh, was ruined a little bit by seminary um, because everything I do, everything I see in the world is there are theological roots to it, you know. So any chance I get to, you know, be able to geek out theologically, you know, feels like an awesomeness for me. So uh, theological everything. And so I love good challenges. Someone's like, hey, what about this? I will find a way to make sure that we can find the theology from that as well. Love it. Love it. Love geeking out on theology for sure on this show. So I'm excited. Awesome. Um, let's see. Talk talk to us about your faith story, if you can share kind of what, uh, how you got introduced to the faith, what it looks like today, anything in between you want to share, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's been quite a journey. So um, my family is, um, I was born and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition. Um, and uh, my family is from South Africa. So it was kind of like one of the mission places, you know, of Seventh-day Adventism. So the way it showed up in my family and like in the communities around us, you know, were uh, pretty particular, you know. Um, but uh, having been born there and then I moved, my family moved to the U.S. when I was a baby um, and everywhere we went, right, there was like a, a school community, but also a Seventh-day Adventist community. Um, so a lot of like the Christianity that had like the Seventh-day Adventism the way that it was like presented to me, at least, you know, had elements of, you know, having had to escape a race of South Africa with apartheid and then being in the U.S. as like, you know, immigrants um, whose first language is not English. Um, just all the ways, right, you know, that we kind of encountered um, what a good Christian is. You know, we were often on the re receiving end of, you know, nice church people's Christmas gifts because, you know, it was you know, my parents and my, you know, the five kids, you know, family of seven as immigrants in the U.S., um, as you would imagine, um, had like, you know, a lot of need, you know, uh, we've seen food pantries almost always at churches, you know, so like, that's been like a, a key part of the, the I guess, like my experience with like, you know, um, 
just mission, church mission as a receiving end and all the ways in which, you know, like, you know, there was like embarrassment and, you know, just the hoops we had to jump through to get, you know, essential aid um, that I realize now is kind of shaped, you know, how I am as a clergy person today. Um, but as a kid, though, too, you know, so like uh, being a seven day Adventist also means, you know, that um, we observe the Sabbath from like Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. That means pretty much, you know, there were no football games, no parties, you know, there's a lot of like restrictions growing up. And so it felt kind of legalistic and oppressive to me as a kid because I wanted to do kid stuff. Um, and there weren't many places where we could, you know, or even like, you know, pepperoni pizza almost everywhere you went. Like that's the standard topic, topping, right? Couldn't engage in that either. So um, it was a whole bunch of that, you know, and, and I had questions and they weren't necessarily always welcomed, you know, again, like just the iteration, the kinds that was represented to me. I don't want to speak for the whole denomination, obviously. Um, but um, so for me, like, you know, the kind of like the last straw of like my being able to be there is realizing I was queer and there just was not space for me as a queer person in the church, you know. So I left intending to never come back to the church. And um, I've been like starting to tell folk, you know, the moment when I realized explicitly that I am not a seven day Adventist, um, I'd ordered a pepperoni pizza. And I swear it took like over an hour to get there. Like I was anxious the whole time, just kind of pacing, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I opened the pizza box and I remember I was sitting on my mattress, which was on the floor. You know, I was like a young 20 something. And uh, I took a bite of the pizza and I just started bawling. I just started bawling. Like it was just, you know, um, so somebody Adventism, right? It's not just a belief. It's like an identity. And so my leaving the SDA church um, I have language for it now looking back, right? But there was like a piece of me that I was leaving behind in that bite of pepperoni pizza. I'm pretty sure I didn't finish that pizza, you know. Um, it's probably too late to ask for a refund. But like just the identity that led with, you know, then a belief system was second. So to question my beliefs was to question my identity and was like in some ways, you know, to like, you know, how dare you like not have pride in who you are if this is who you are, but I'm also queer and these two things were not matching, you know? Um, so yeah, so again, like it's taken like years in seminary and years since seminary to like really still kind of unpack just what that turmoil was, you know? So I feel like I'm certainly now in a place where I'm not just rejecting Seventh-day Adventism as a whole or like being able to like talk badly about it just cause like, it was a lot, it was a lot, you know? Um, and just like the, you know, it was always about, you know, obeying, you know, elders and adults and parents, you know, and again, like from an African tradition, it's like anybody who was older than me, you know, um, and like just very close to that too, is like, cause if you don't, it's just one way ticket to hell and you might not make it back, you know? And just, just, just the, that constant fear of like, what if I get caught, you know? Um, and not, hey, maybe this isn't the right thing to do, you know? So um, that's certainly, you know, those kinds of like those fears of like, I can't do this cause I'll get caught. Um, even transform my parenting, you know, how I parent my daughter it was very much about, you know, I probably overshared with her and like over, you know, leaned into like their consequences. You could choose to do this. And then this consequence is going to come, you know, if you choose to do this, if you choose to, you know, if you choose to lie, um, you know, here's the consequence. If you, you know, choose to whatever that may be, right. It's, they're going to be consequences, not for the fear of these consequences. Right. Cause like consequence and, and like fear of getting caught, or not the same thing, you know? I think you probably land in a similar place, but the process, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, um, consequences felt less detrimental uh, to like, you know, kind of my parenting and also trying to like raise up a young black woman in this world that we're in that doesn't really care much for black women, for perfectly honest. Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you sharing all that. I'm, I want to, this is only the introduction. So uh, forgive me if I'm getting out of order, which I kind of warned you, I guess, about. Sure. Uh, I'm touched by that. And I'm thinking about, um, A, I I guess I want to ask, like you mentioned, you left the church, broadly speaking, without wanting to come back. And I'm curious, like, what was it about? United to Christ. If that, I'm not sure if that was your first introduction back into the church. What was that? What was it that that got you back? Yeah, that's kind of wild, you know. So I, um, in undergrad, you know, the the place where I ate the pizza, you know, I was like done for a while for church, like that was it. And um, so I was going to school in this like small white town, it's like primarily a farming community, and I was like this like you know liberal arts college, like 1,200 students maybe, um, and. Uh, a friend was like, hey, you know, come to church with me. So I've been like kind of visiting some churches on Sundays with people here and there, you know. Um, but she introduced me to this church, you know, it's like this Mexican Pentecostal church in Alma, Michigan. And my first thought was like, they got Mexicans here? Like, I didn't even know that, right? Like, where y'all at? Like, this is apparently where they are, you know. Um, and then like the idea that it was like a Pentecostal church, you know, like as an SDA person, Seventh-day Adventist, um, that would have never happened, you know, just like being in a Pentecostal church, you know? And so, but there's something about being there, you know, that like the authenticity of their worship that like kept drawing me in. Um, theologically, we were not at all compatible, right? Cause like, you know, even though like it was clear to me that they weren't really into the queer stuff, um, they were still welcoming mostly in a way that, you know, I hadn't seen in the SDA church. So I kept sticking around, you know? And um, it was like on and off again for like two years at that place. Um, again, knowing full well, like intellectually, like this is not a fit, like this wasn't going to be home, but I enjoyed the people, the music, the worship, you know, there's something that always like kind of left me full up when I went back out into the world. Right. Um, they had this one visiting prophet, I guess his title is a prophet. Um, and, uh, he said the word vocation and that spun me out my vocation. Oh my gosh, this is what I need to be doing. I don't know what else that guy said. You know what I'm saying? He could have like preach fire and brimstone. I have no idea. But like that word, you know, which is wild because like at Alma, you know, we had just had like, you know, this Lily Grant, you know, there was like vocation was literally all over campus. So it's not even like a brand new word for me. Like, you know, um, when we came out of his mouth, I was like, this is what I need to do, you know? So um, I went back to, you know, four of my five mentors at Alma who were, <laughs> this is funny now, but like they're all like kind of had gone to seminary, you know, somewhere in the religious uh, program, somewhere in like sociology, others were like in a in a history. And so I was like, you know, four or five of them had gone to Princeton, you know, so they were all very affirming. And they're like, you know, here's this, uh, you know, this FTE, like all the accredited schools in the U.S. and Canada. And so I went through it one by one, just marking like, hey, some that was like very clear, you know, theologically weren't doing it so that Catholic, SDA, you know, cross those off. You know, there are others that are like, you know the seminarian can bring his wife. And it was very clear. I'm like, okay, cross that off, you know, just some of the coded language. And so I did a round two online, you know, where it's like, okay, of these ones that I'd selected, you know, those hundreds or however many, I don't remember now, I went online, like, what does your website say? You know, getting a closer look at like, you know, who do you really say you are? You know, not just in this book, you know, it's kind of like this stiff catalog, but like, uh, how does it look? How does it feel to be in your midst? You know, I narrowed it down to three schools. One was Princeton Theological Seminary, which four of the five had gone to that school, so I felt obligated to, you know, at least apply. I didn't get in. Um, then the other two were Eden Theological Seminary in St. Louis uh, and Chicago Theological Seminary in Chicago, and both of them are UCC schools. I'm like, UCC, what is this? I go to UCC online. I'm like, 
you know, in my mind, I was for sure about to just start my own religion, you know, Puritarianism, had like the sign of the P, had it all the way figured out because like, you know, I, I just figured, you know, it was going to be a place where I could land. And then here's this UCC. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, um, they were in the time when I found them um, in 07, they were doing like this campaign, you know, like God is still speaking and, you know, the whole like, you know, never place the period where God has placed a comma, um, you know, questions are welcome. Like, I just, I couldn't believe, it. you know, if it was like in a movie, this would have been the heavens, you know, would have been opened up and doves would have flying around my head, you know, light would have shown up everywhere. But like, it was definitely a moment of like, what? Like, this thing exists? And I just started devouring content, you know, and, and there wasn't a UCC church where I was. So that might have, you know, been part of it, you know. And so um, I ended up going to St. Louis, uh, Eden Seminary. Um, like months later, I I enrolled, got in, and just moved to St. Louis with my daughter. Um, and it was like, you know, I went to seminary looking for God and I tell people I found myself. You know, it was just like getting a chance to like, you know, re-engage on these holy scriptures that I heard in a very particular way all my life, you know, being able to like get a clear understanding of like, you know, a shift, I guess a, re- a new relationship with myself in the Bible and a relationship with me and God, you know, um, but that really then centered around like, well, then who am I <laughs> to be able to have these relationships with Bible and God, you know? So I really had to like unpack a whole bunch of stuff within my, you know, within me, um, I got a therapist for the first time, which is like so bizarre because like, you know, especially in like black African families, like our business stays here. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I didn't even tell my family I was seeing a therapist for like years past before I was even able to tell them that, you know, um, it was, it was, it was kind of terrifying, you know? And like, now I'm just like, I'm a therapy evangelist. Like anyone having a human experience, you know, this is my little tiny plug, unshamefully. Um, if you're having a human experience, I absolutely encourage you to go see a therapist. You know what I'm saying? Like, and just like build that into your budget as much as possible, you know, I mean, no, it's a privilege to be able to do so, but like, you know, not just when things are going wrong, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's why I'm able to be, you know, as an effective and I think a compassionate person and a clergy person and a parent and, you know, a friend, all these things, you know, is that I have like kind of built into my budget, you know, like a a solid, like someone who can like, you know, help me be clear about me, you know, on an ongoing basis, you know, because it's very easy to lose yourself. I want to touch on something you said there about finding yourself in seminary. Mm. You said earlier something about how identity and beliefs can beliefs can become enmeshed. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I, I, at least from an outsider perspective, in the last few years, I feel like I see that in many of the folks deconstructing, at least. And I'm curious, like, what do you think? What are your thoughts there, having gone through it, uh, and what advice? I don't know, might you have? Yeah, that's actually a great question. One that's funny. It literally came out of my mouth, but I've never put those together side by side. So thank you for that. Sure. Um, mind, uh, you know, it's like a, a, a mental Rubik's Cube. But yeah, truly, you know, so it's like, yeah, I'm also a word nerd. Like, I, they're delicious. I love the way that they taste in my mouth, right? These words. And so um, I'm very mindful of like how we use language, you know, like both in its limits, but also in the creativity with it, right? So um, I've been paying attention a lot more where it's like, you know, even in the way that we speak, you know, someone will say, I am a Christian, not my beliefs are Christian, right? So like you've already woven in, you know, your belief systems, we've created them as identities, you know? And so, you know, even someone, you know, politically, I am whatever your political alignment is, you know, instead of my political beliefs are, you know? And and I think it probably started as a shortcut, you know, just because like, you know, it's like having a contraction, right? It's like a shortcut for how we speak, but... I do believe, right, you know, 
you say something enough times long enough, you begin to believe it. And then all of a sudden, you know, when I say something about your political belief or your religious belief, it's a personal attack, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's definitely value in, you know, even, you know, if you use a shortcut language, just be clear about who you are, that you are not your belief systems. You know what I'm saying? You're not your gender. You're not your whatever fill in the blank identity. Right. But like, it's all of those things together that kind of shape who you are in this moment. And all those things aren't going to stay the same till forever. And I'm glad that they don't, you know, because like the identities and the beliefs that I had when I was five, it would be a problem, you know, at, you know, in my forties or fifties or whatever to still have those same beliefs, you know, if again, I have a capacity to learn and grow, um, to not do so, I genuinely believe is an affront to God and creation, you know, how dare you not live your fullest to your fullest capacity, you know? So again, my capacity may not match yours, but whatever it is that our each, our own capacities are, you know, to be able to learn and grow and be fully, you know, um, it is an affront to creation, you know? So, so for some folk, you know, who are like, you know, country first or politics first, or, you know, religion first, it's, it's personhood first, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and I know it's a very dangerous thing to say in this culture where, you know, we like to, you know, it's very like me first and then I'll think about you maybe, you know, and only if it's in, in the particular way that I want you to be thought of. Yeah. But, you know, if we move like more to like a healthier place of, you know, you can be a full human in your fullest humanity and I can be as well. And there are places where that'll overlap well and other places where they, you know, it's like two poles of a magnet. They're just not going to be consistent, right? But like in your full humanity, as long as my full humanity does not impose on or do violence against yours, we're good. You know, I don't have to believe everything that you believe, you know, and, and the idea that anyone would, you know, like I see this mostly like in politics and even, you know, congregations where it's like, oh, here's what we believe. Like a room full of 10 people, they're going to be at least 30 beliefs in that room, you know? And so we finally, again, shortcut words and language to say that we can like corporally believe, you know, like. The word faith, what does that mean? What does grace mean? What does sin mean? That means a lot of things to a lot of people, even within one community, right? Many, a smaller community, whether it's a family or a church or whatever, denomination. Um, so we find shortcuts, right, to like say what we are hoping to try to gather on some commonalities and, you know, ways in which we can learn and grow with each other. Um, but even identical twins will not have the exact same beliefs and understandings, you know, but I think the way that we do it nowadays is like very... Well, if you don't believe this, you can't be in. Yeah, yeah. Like, but what does that even mean, really? You know, we have all these, like, fancy shortcut snippet words and whatnot, and it means a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. You know? I, th I really like what you said earlier there. It's an if I heard it right, an affront to creation not to grow. Yeah. It really speaks, I think, to that, the, the creator God. Absolutely. Well, uh, I suppose I should get back on track here. <laughs> I want to just keep going with this. This this line, um, but I'm curious. Maybe let me ask it in this way. I was going to ask about spiritual practices. Do you see therapy as a spiritual practice um, for yourself? Yeah. So actually, um, theologically, so you know, uh, at the very beginning, right? We hear like you know, God creates. God is a creator, and so we also read right that you know we are made in God's image. So if God is a creator, perhaps with a big C. That means all of us are creators with a small c, right? You know, not to make ourselves of gods, right? But right. if God is a creating God, then we are a creating people. And so for me, um, creativity is at the core of all of my spiritual practices, you know? So whether that's like um, creating, you know, with my words and language, you know what I'm saying? Like my writing, 
um, you know, writing devotions or uh, sermons or just journaling, right? All of that to me is like spiritual practice, you know, as a creator, like God creator, right? Um, sometimes that's also meant, you know, creating space for LGBTQ folk in a city where there wasn't. Um, that's what I did in Lansing, Michigan, founding the Sala Center. Um, if that's, you know, creating uh, new possible ways forward, you know, when a, a faith community is kind of stuck, like, okay, here's what we've been doing for so long and we don't know what to do next, you know? That to me, like that creation, right? This creative energy. Um, preferences, right? You know, like just the being able to, again, at least for me, you know, this creativity is about being whole. And so if we have systems where people, all people can't be whole, we've got to create new ways forward, you know? So that sometimes that's creating a disturbance in the status quo. I'm here for that, you know? So really the core, I would say, you know, theologically for me, like creativity is, you know, essential. Um, and and in recent years, you know, I used to be like, you know, oh, you know, creativity, you know, as, as a, an act of resistance. But I'm like, no, creativity for the sake of creativity. Like that to me kind of speaks to some of that Sabbath, you know, like that I'm no longer discarding from the SDA church, you know, but this idea of you get to create, you get to have pleasure, you get to have joy, you get to just be in your creative energy, like be this image of God, right? In this this creative space and whatever you know creativity that is you know it's not limited to like well I'm not an artist well you don't have to be right to create you know in the many ways that God creates um, that to me is like the core of like my my practices you know so so therapy you know I'm creating a space for me to just untangle the human experiences I've had all week with someone who is you know holding a container for me to do so safely, you know, without having to worry about, oh, I didn't say that the way I wanted to and I don't want to actually hurt somebody. I could be as petty as I want to be <laughs> in therapy, right? Because I know this person's not going to hold me to it yeah. till forever, amen, you know? Um, so yeah, so really, truly, I'll say creativity is like the core, like everything I'm about, you know, when I'm creating, to me, I feel most connected to, you know, to God as creator. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I had another guest, I think, speak about creation being a core element of who we are as, as a made in God's image. And I've, I think I've noticed over the last year how much uh, I really appreciate being able to do creative things, even though mm. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an artist per se. Right. I really enjoy it. Um, well, we're already 20 minutes in here and having such oh, a wow. great conversation. <laughs> uh, I want to save some time here for what, I, what else I think is going to be a great conversation. Yeah. And uh, I'll use the phrase, the E word. It's this E word that uh, Piwa and I both uh, primarily find ourselves, at least uh, for me, I'm assuming, in mainline Protestant contexts where the word evangelism can be a big, scary word. And sometimes for good reason. I hope to talk about that here. Um, but first, I guess, maybe introduce kind of what you do now within the United Church of Christ around evangelism and trying to create space. Uh, and then we can kind of talk more about what you mean by the word and how you understand it and how it can, uh, how you help to coach communities of faith. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my current role um, is actually a brand new one at the United Church of Christ. Um, it is, uh, I'm the ambassador for innovation and engagement. So after you've heard me talk about creativity, it kind of makes sense that I'm like, in a, you know, in a role where innovation is, you know, a main a verb in the, you know, to like be able to innovate, you know, in my, in my daily work. Um, 
And then there's this thing about engagement, right? Where it's like, you know, really trying to, like, how do we engage with churches, primarily those, you know, who we don't often hear from, like, you know, on the, you know, conference or regional level or even at the national level, um, kind of, at least for me, you know, the focus of, you know, like rural churches or small churches or churches of color um, or even like new church starts, you know, like these are, you know, they tend to all kind of be smaller, you know, um, and, and our niche usually, you know, so it's like, you know, kind of started in the last, you know, within 10, even five, 10, 20 years. Um, so for me, you know, I think that's like a really key place, right? Where it's like, you know, especially for churches that are starting now, kind of joining a denomination that's been around, you know, at least since the fifties as United Church of Christ and way longer before that, you know, with the four denominations that merged, um, how do we hold, you know, something like this, this, um, these communities that are shaped around things that were not even issues back then, right? And so um, I love that, you know what I'm saying? I live in the liminal spaces, you know, everything about who I am, you know, it's like, you know, how do we, you know, kind of creating bridges between, you know, tradition and, you know, contemporary life, you know, how do we um, create possibility, right? In a way that doesn't just discard everywhere we've been, because I think that does violence to our stories, to our tradition, you know, to our beliefs, <clears throat> excuse me, but that also doesn't stay reminiscing about what we used to be, who we used to be, how we used to function or operate, right? So so I feel like a lot of my work, you know, again, regardless of what kind of, what flavor of church I'm engaging, um, that we really are honest, right, about, you know, coming down to, you know, who are we at our core? Like, why are we here? You know, uh, Simon Sinek, you know, the whole start with why, it's almost always any talk that I give, you know, I encourage people to watch that first before we engage, you know, because it's like, if you don't even really know why you're here, you know, in church language, what's your mission, right? Um, what are you doing? You know, and that's fine. Just be honest about it, right? You know, I think, you know, kind of doing that work, at least in my, you know, optimistic, uh, hopeful self, it'll help churches not, you know, unintentionally do the whole bait and switch, you know, yeah, all are welcome. And you get there and then there's like these microaggressions and like this actually is not very welcoming, you know. And that unfortunately happens more often than not in my experiences, you know. So really try to help people get honest about who they are. You know, if you say that you're welcoming in this way, don't just tell me, show me. You know, it could be the 10 years I spent in St. Louis, you know, the show me state is like, okay, cool. You could tell me all day long, you know what I'm saying? And like, you know, you have like these really articulate faith statements and beautiful, you know, welcomes on your website. And then you get there and it's like, oh, wow. So that's not even who y'all are, right? You know, uh, false advertising is the thing that comes to mind, right? So that's kind of, you know, I guess like kind of underlying my work and kind of reaching in, you know, with folk, you know, is is um, just even the idea that innovation is not always like the fastest, newest, greatest, brightest, latest, you know, tech toy or whatever, but it's just like doing what you do with intention and then doing it well, you know? If you're a community that loves feeding the people around you, then why is your message not around that? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know that, you know, and then feeding in whatever way you want to, you know, spiritually, physically, whatever, right? So if you have a clear sense about who you are, then it makes a better sense than for like how you get to tell people who you are. And like, this kind of touches into evangelism some, right? So it's like, you know, don't be the church down the street. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they may have the people you're trying to get to, you know, but like, you can't be them because you're not them. Right. So you're doing violence to the people who are gathering in your place. You're doing violence to, you know, your call, um, you know, and and then people do show up because you've said one thing, but that's actually not who you are. And then you wonder why they left you to go to that place across the street because, well, that's who they are, right? You know, the phrase, you know, like the, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, what if I tended to the grass on my side? It too would be green. Right. You know? Well, 
I hope we can come back to these. So scratching down some notes here, uh, we'll have to see. We've, I think we've been talking so long uh, off topic, and there's so much good stuff that I we don't even have time to cover. But you said doesn't. Well, I'll hold on to it. It's been a great conversation. Uh, I'm hoping we can get back to it. But uh, talk a little bit more about what you mean by evangelism. Yeah, so um, it is an E-word, you know. It's one of those, like, ugly words that I, I would— a lot of like, you know, maybe progressive, more kind of like liberal leaning churches um, kind of resist it because of how evangelism has kind of been like, you know, co-opted by kind of like this kind of like rigid, you know, if not this, then go to hell directly, don't pass, go or collect 200 type of a stance, right? Um, I would almost even liken it, you know, to like the, the word queer in queer spaces, right? Where it's like, you know, queer at its most base definition, right? is like that which is not like the others, you know? Um, and like for the longest time, you know, there's some people even today, right, who cannot embrace queer because of the harm and the violence that was done against them because of it, you know, or those around them who they care about. Um, in the same way, evangelism, right, there may be some people who can never and will never embrace it because of the harm that's been done. And I will respect that, right? At the same time, you know, there's something very much about empowering, about claiming a word that, you know, just because some folk have like kind of like weaponized it, you know. yeah. I think sometimes by not claiming it, it actually like lets us off the hook for doing what it is inviting us to do. You know, um, we're so afraid sometimes of like making a stance of like, here's what we do believe, you know, like on the one hand, we're like, oh, we know what we don't believe or we're not like that. We're not like that. Okay. But what are you like? You know, what are you inviting me into? You know, I know, okay, it's not going to be no hate from the pulpit around, you know, these whatever, whatever. I know that it won't be about, you know, whatever kind of violence is right that we're escaping, but what will it be about, you know? And again, so one thing that we like to, like, you know, love wins all. Okay, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, what does that mean to me, you know, as a person trying to engage in community, right? And so I think we would do well to, like, find ways to reclaim, even if it's not that word, how do we reclaim its essence in a very, you know, kind of strategic and honest and authentic way I really genuinely believe, believe that that's what's going to help move us into whatever church next is going to be is, again, starting with why. Why are you doing this, right? Um, in the business world, you know, um, marketing to do in a church context, right, is not about profit over people. You know, how do we then take some of the, you know, I guess the, 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 the tools that are used in marketing, but then to apply it to our, you know, values and, and, and essence, you know, so that it's not you know, it kind of ends up being kind of bait and switch or like kind of rigid, like, okay, this is actually false advertising. And that's not even allowed in the marketing world. You know I mean? It still happens, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, shameless plug, Piwa. Uh, I think this will release or it hasn't released yet. No, I can't talk this morning. Uh, no worries. It's the season before your season. In season mm. eight, I have an interview with JJ Peterson, uh, who talks about marketing for nonprofits and churches, which I'd highly recommend for folks. It'll be out nice. by the time this interview is out. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, so you mentioned earlier in your interview, in this conversation, uh, talking about how you're growing up in your experience with church and like food pantries and stuff like that, like hoops to jump through. And I want to ask you about the evangelism and kind of the definitely problem history of like colonialism and missions kind of being all kind of tied up together. And that's what I think about when you talk about hoops to jump through. It was like, Hey, we want mm -hmm. to share the gospel, but it's like, Oh, you also have to like accept 
uh, Western, uh, right. that kind of thing. Like it's abandon your culture, accept Western ideology, right. and then you can become a Christian. Right. And for a good reason, right. there's a lot of pushback now against, I think, evangelism because of that legacy, right? Right. Right. Proselytization. Proselytizing, I think is a fancier word for, Yeah, you know, it's often like coded as evangelism, but it's not evangelism, you know. Um, yes, yeah, so this word for me, right, the language, like words, like even just like tracking back, like the etymology, like what does this actually mean? Helps me like be able to, okay, cool. Then what's, here's the essence of the word. How do I get to that? If I can't get to that word itself, how do I get to the essence of what it is that we're supposed to be, or supposed to be like, that we can be doing to, um, you know, live out the different cause we have, you know, communally and individually. I think that's a helpful yeah. distinction there. Uh, I, yeah. I'm writing, yeah, I got full of notes here. Um, I want to hear some good examples, maybe. I, I was intrigued by what you said about kind of the show me, don't tell me. Mm-hmm. At least as I heard it, because I think that can often be a thing of mainline churches. We're like, "Hey, we got our we got our rainbow flag up, and we got our affirmative right. statement." And if I'm hearing you right, you're like, "Don't tell me, show me." Right. So, what are some examples right. you could maybe think back of, or or give ideas for? Yeah. So, um, if your church just says, you know, we love kids, bring them in, blah blah blah, right? So, a family shows up with their kids. And the kids are like, you know, making noise in the back, they're getting fussy. And every 10 seconds, you got people swiveling in their pews to look back at you like, do you mind? Yeah. You don't love kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, or there's no actual space for people to be, you know, right in there with their kids. You know, if you say that you're welcoming of all folk and someone who uses a wheelchair shows up yeah. and they can't even get into your sanctuary, maybe you're not welcoming to all folk. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, these are like maybe subtle things that we kind of overlook. So it's like, what are your barriers? You know, who are the people you want to invite? Yeah. Go look in your space. You know, are all the pictures on your wall of white people? Yeah. Are they all men? Yeah. Are the images of families all cis heterosexual, right? Like nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Are all the books in your library, right? You know, is it all just like, you know, old dead white men? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, how what is the liturgy on your on in your bulletin every Sunday morning? Yeah. Is it always the same people? the same flavor, you know, um, those are the things, you know, that I think, you know, like today churches can literally, you know, um, start doing like an, you know, an internal audit, you know, who are the people we're hoping to welcome and I'll pretend like you're one of those people and without, you know, uh, pretending like no, no blackface basically. Um, but you know, and then just look through your space. How would someone that you're trying to welcome see it? Is it actually welcoming? Right. So it's like more than just, Ooh, we have a rainbow flag. Yes, absolutely. If you're welcoming to LGBTQ folk, make it very clear, you know, because not everybody says so, right? And also, in your clarity, are the people in your congregation actually prepared to engage with people who are LGBTQ? Yeah. And you're not asking me, who's the boy one? Who's the girl one? Ma'am? Like, that's not welcoming, you know? Not, you know, asking a trans person if they've had the surgery, you know? So it's like, truly, it's like, you know, being able to be prepared as a community, even before the people you're trying to welcome are here, you know? So that's usually what I'm trying to tell people is like, yes, put the message out there, but just make sure that you're not falsely advertising because have you done the work internally to actually welcome these people? You know, a welcome is not just putting numbers in your reporting every year for, you know, denominational, you know, stats and reports or whatever, but it's who are you, you know, are you indeed 
changed by the people you've welcomed. Because if you're not, you know what I'm saying, like that reeks of assimilation to me. Another word, you know, as an immigrant child, um, assimilation, it requires erasure, you know. I have to erase a part of who I am and some of my own culture yeah. so I can fit in. You know, and I think it's very different to fit in versus belonging. Yeah. How do you help people belong without having to fit in? Because to fit in, again, you're, you're, you're having to just shave stuff off to be able to fit one shape of your community, you know? Mm, that's a really intriguing question there. Belonging without having to, to fit in, kind of squeezing into. Absolutely what round hole square peg round hole kind of thing um yeah there's something else i want to ask you but i've already forgotten and there's there's still good questions <laughs> no i want to hear your perspectives on um so when i think about and, it, and i kind of heard this from another conversation we were uh, I was fortunate to be a part of with you um kind of about storytelling as a key part of evangelism um maybe talk just a bit unpack that a little bit and then i i also want to hear like how you think uh, we might need to reshape our worship experiences to better include storytelling in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, as Christians, you know, Christ followers, Jesus was always using story. I mean, parables, right? Like stories are so powerful because they're the things that become memorable, right? So, you know, I can't tell you what verse or scripture or whatever things have been found, but I can tell you Here's a story, and it stuck with me, right? Because, you know, again, a parable, the brilliance of it. It's short, it's memorable, and it almost always has, like, a twist ending, you know, that I think, you know, in a modern context, we sometimes lose, you know, the 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 kind of gut-wrenching twist at the end of the story. We're like, wait, what? You expect a story to go a certain way, and then all of a sudden it takes a turn, and that stays with you, right? It, like, teases you into, like, new action and new, you know, being, right? Um, so that's the power of story, you know? Um However, it can be done in a very exploitative way, you know. Yeah. Think the missionaries going to like poor Africa and the little kids with distended bellies and flies flying everywhere. When I moved back to South Africa as a 10-year-old, I was surprised at how many flies there weren't. Huh. You know, I found out in the last few years, and I haven't like fact-checked it because I can't stomach myself to do it. Someone had told me some of these people, white missionary types, um, would literally put honey on these kids' heads so that flies could fly around their heads. Wow. Now, that kind of storytelling is not okay, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, this this whole, like, kind of capitalizing or exploiting someone's pain and, like, needing them to stay in their pain so that you can have relevance. Yeah. Right? As opposed to, man, I went to South Africa or wherever, right? And, and I was gut-wrenched to see the kind of poverty there tell the story about what happened to you yeah me right here's how what i saw without giving the details of what happened to them let me tell you what happened to me that to me has got like a lot more power and possibility so you're not pimping out other people's stories for your own personal gain or you know communal gain or whatever fill in the blank gain because it's not them you know um but talk about how you were transformed yo i really thought this is what i believed and then i saw this I couldn't hold the two together, you know, um, like even like doing LGBTQ welcoming, right? Because it's like a lot of the times, you know, a lot of the work that I do is that people are like, well, can you come talk about your story? I'm like, I'd rather you talk about your story. Yeah. How did you go from yeah, man and woman only to, wow, absolutely, you're right. Talk about your story because that is where most people are. Quit pimping out my pain. Yeah. Because then y'all leave and you keep telling my story to other people, but like not with 
you know, you feel like you've done something by sharing my story. Yeah. Now share your story because now you stay in it. You're in that work. And even as you keep changing, your story's going to change with you. Because if you don't, if you keep telling my story, I'm not even there anymore, but people are still telling this one snapshot of a story that I told you for a specific purpose. Right. So now you just keep, you know, trying to like squeeze out whatever benefits from my one story, as opposed to your own transformation. And now you can track that as you go and grow, you know? And to me, that kind of storytelling is so much more powerful, right? Um, in this context, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, even just like this idea, you know, Jesus kind of calling his, the 12 that we're told about at least, you know, um, evangelism, right? It's not about come and see, you know, uh, which by the way is like kind of a marketing, you know, like a like Nike's just do it. You know, Jesus is come and see. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you know, what are you talking about? Come and see. You know, I could tell you, but I'd rather show you. And then what does Jesus show, right? He's not showing, and look how many members I got. Look how many followers I got. Look how many whatever. Jesus shows them, here's how you feed. Not, look how many people I fed. Yep. Here's how you teach. Oh, look at what I was able to tell people. Here's how you heal. Right. And I think that is why I keep asking our churches, why are you here? You know, uh, one question I love, you know, using that, you know, now at least I'm in a, in a, in a context where I can share it without feeling like I might get run out um, is if your community just disappeared magically today. Yeah. Yeah. How would anyone in the city, town, wherever you are, how would they be affected? Yep. Yep. And the uncomfortable reality is for a lot of us, they wouldn't be. Right. They might not even notice, you know, right? And so then the question is, then how do you, how do we get reconnected, you know, with people in our communities? And, and the second question to that is, you know, there's some people who are now in the community, right, doing some stuff, but are you expecting something back, you know? Because I've also heard like, oh, but we were doing this for three months and no one has showed up on Sunday. Yeah. That you're not in it for the right reason. You know what I'm saying? If your purpose is more butts and pews, bro, guess what? You know, um, then you're not, you know, and that's probably why, you know, but if you're in it because it's the right thing to do, it doesn't matter whether or not someone shows up in your pews. You know what I'm saying? The reward is I'm in alignment with my assignment from God. Yeah. If that's not what you're in it for, I'm, I'm, I'm begging, <laughs> you know, for that alignment to reoccur. Cause I think that is what makes the church kind of irrelevant in some ways, you know, it's, not because butts are not showing up in our, you know, sitting in our pews, not because, you know, ties aren't being paid and envelopes monthly, whatever else. I mean, those are important too. But I would say the most important thing, you know, it's not go ye there for and maintain your buildings. <laughs> yep. Right. So it's like, truly, you know, how are you actually being, you know, responding to the cries of God's people where you are within your spheres of influence, you know, um, and, and, it, and with our technologies now, I mean, you're, you know, we're not even in the same place right now. So we're able to have these conversations that, again, hopefully will land into the headphones and ears of people who can realign and, you know, do the things that they're called to do. You know, like, what is your call? I can't tell you what that is. You know, I can tell you what my wrestling with my own call is, you know, as a person, as a, you know, community or an organization or fill in the blank. Right. But each of us are the only ones who can actually answer that. Right. And so anyone who's going to show up and be like, oh, here are the things you need to do to whatever. I'm already suspicious, you know? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I like, uh, you kind of mentioned about the the folks, earlier you mentioned about like the bait and switch and marketing. And that's, mm. people can see through that just like they can see through Absolutely. if you're just doing a church program to get them to show up on Sunday morning. Right, right. Yeah. 
Um, so I grew up Baptist, independent Baptist, where mm. testimony wasn't a huge part, but we'd have, it was a fairly regular thing to have like a, a testimony service or something. And certainly there can be the opportunity for it to be performative, perhaps. Right. I think I, I'm a big believer in storytelling and sharing, like you said, telling your story. I'm curious, like, so much, we, we're going through this COVID time, which is still dragging on. It'll still be dragging on, most likely, even when this interview releases. I'm hoping, I'm hoping something yeah. substantial comes, we use this opportunity as an, as an opportunity to substantially change our Sunday worship experiences or whenever we gather corporately. Right. How do you think we could adjust perhaps for like the average Sunday morning, 1030 church to better incorporate like storytelling as part of that corporate experience. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's so many ways. Um, I think uh, being able to, um, you know, when you tell a story, right. If I'm telling, like I've told you some stories that I'm telling in a particular way because we're being recorded. Right. If you and I were having the same story after hours, you know, having a beverage of our choosing, um, it would be the same story, but my delivery is going to be very different, right? Because I'm going to be a lot more animated about it. You know, I might even act out some of the stuff. I might have some like colorful words to include in it, right? I will likely have colorful words to include in it. Um, It's the same story, but the telling is different. And I think some of the ways in which we can really get clear about, you know, um, how does it we do our storytelling, right? So it's not just... How do we tell stories for people in our pews, right? Because I think often what we do is we use all these like coded, you know, Christian words, like, you know, what does that mean to someone who's never been in your community, right? Because even how you use that word, even from one Christian church to another, yep. it isn't used in the same way. Yep. So shift your delivery, right? You know, but if your story is shifting based on who you're telling, then that's some internal work y'all gotta do, right? So it's not about tell a different story. Mm-hmm. It's how is your delivery being shared so that it can reach the people you're trying to reach? You know, um, people already in your pews already know what you're about, right? So if you want other people to know the goodness that you've got, what do you need to do to share it? You know, again, not so that they can show up, but so that they can actually get the good news that you want to share. Yeah. You know, Jesus' invitations were not about, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you can follow me. Here's what that means, though. And some people couldn't. And they turned away. It wasn't like, no, I said, you know, like, like choose you this day. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to do it in a particular way. So I think how it is that we are sharing our stories, you know, um, means that, you know, the story essentially is like, you know, what is your why? Why are y'all here? Why does it matter? You know, one community I was sharing with, you know, um, asking that question. I mean, I was actually moved by like that question actually induced tears from folks. They're like, I don't know what I would do without this place. I was like, oh, okay. Then I'm like, what is it then about that? What is that threat? You know what I'm saying? Like that tears that got brought on, like why? that's your why right there, you know? And then they started realizing, you know, it's because we get to support each other, you know, whatever that is, right? So it's not just like, we just like hanging out. Right. Which, I mean, that's valid, but be clear in your evangelism or marketing that, hey, we just like hanging out. Yeah, yeah. Don't say you're this, though, because it's not who you are, right? And you just, I think, truly, you know, it's not like, you know, again, to try to judge people like, all oh, this, that, or whatever else, but just be honest. 
And it's your authenticity, you know, like, because there are a lot more people who are able to, you know, detect a lack of authenticity. And, and that's just like, that's untasty, whoever you may be, right? So it's like just being clear and true to who you are and then tell stories. And that might mean, you know, let's hear from the, you know, the, the octogenarian what it is about this faith community that they love. Let's hear from our eight-year-old, our 18-year-old, you know? And again, so it's not just a, you know, here's a script that you got to do and let them tell it in their own language. If somebody drops a few, you know, you know, colorful languages in there, it's not about, oh, you can't say that in here. Why not? You think God doesn't hear that and isn't also still in them and caring enough? You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, what are those things that are becoming barriers for us to be able to encounter one another, you know? And so like, kind of like this, uh, a pious approach <laughs> to church and theology and et cetera, right? Is, is a huge turnoff to people because life is way messier than that. Life is, you know, messier than your pristine windows and freshly carpeted sanctuaries. So you don't can't, you know, can't bring in the coffee in here. Like life is messier than that, you know? And to me that says, you value your space more than you value the messiness that I bring into here, seeking wholeness. Yeah. So I'm so messy. I don't feel like I can come into your space because it's a bit too sterile. Yeah. And that's backwards, you know? I mean, I've heard some people say, you know, it's like you injure yourself, but you don't go to the hospital until you're a little bit more healed. Yeah. If I am a spiritual mess, I need to show up to this place of spiritual wholeness, at least in the way we advertise it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not supposed to get myself right and then show up to church. That's backwards, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and that unfortunately is what I hear more of, you know, is, oh no, I gotta get right. So what that you went to the club the night before and you come to church on a Sunday? Shouldn't be shame for that. Mm -hmm. And if you are, maybe we're not the church that we think we are. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, like you said before, it's not go ye therefore and maintain your building. <laughs> right, right. Or your traditions or your, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that may be, you know? Yep. Well, this is a great conversation and uh, I feel like we could go on forever, but let's take a break and we'll come back sure. with some closing questions. All right. We're back with Reverend Piwa Langani, and this is a great, I'm really enjoying this conversation and uh, I, I wish we could keep going, but I got a chiropractor here later on today that I need to go ah, to. Ah, yes. But uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for your perspectives. Uh, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you're Pope for a day, um, what does that look like? What do you want to do? That kind of thing. I wouldn't, if I were to say yes, by some bizarre magic moment, I would not even last for a day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it that way. You know, I, um, I would just show up and be like, look, y'all, people, you need a savior. You already have one and it's not me, you know. Um, and that's just kind of like my own posture, you know, even like in not Pope specific churches, right? Where it's like, sure. this whole putting putting our clergy on a pedestal is a setup, you know? Um, so I tell people from jump, look, I'm a human. I mess up with the rest of y'all. And I, I often preach about my mistakes, you know? Um, so I don't preach what I don't practice. I don't practice what I don't preach, you know what I'm saying? Or practice what I preach, you know? So it's like really, truly like, a, I'm not going to invite the people into doing something that I'm not willing to do myself, you know? I will invite them into my own struggles, because that to me feels more real. Um, and it humanizes, you know, this 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 office, this role of pastor. Um, so I wouldn't even last a day as a pope. It, you know, and, and for people who need it, by all means, you know what I'm saying? But I, it, it would be the fastest pope <laughs> inauguration. Like it would, yeah. That's fine. A lot of folks just want to come in and just say they would just uh, 
uh, disavow, get rid of the popacy. Popacy can't talk today. That works. That works. Um, a theologian mm-hmm. or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Yo, real talk. I would um, I would bring Jesus back just so I could tattle. I want to snitch. I'm like Jesus. Look at your people, like. <laughs> Um, but no, maybe more seriously, like I, I actually, I struggle with this question. Um, but off the top of my head, um, there's this theologian, uh, 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 Friedrich Schleiermacher mm. who, um, I actually probably don't even know the bulk of his works, but there's this one phrase, you know, God consciousness that he talks about, you know, um, how all of us, you know, have God consciousness and that Jesus was like the most God conscious person, human yeah. than any of the humans, I guess, that have been. And so, I would want to explore that some more, you know, like this idea of like God consciousness, right? So it's not that, you know, um, so he's got like a very like, you know, human Jesus in his theology. And, you know, I find that I lean more toward that as well. You know, that, the you know, Jesus is not like a superhero, like Superman type of a different, you know, materials than we are. Right. But that, you know, this human Jesus, you know, having this high God consciousness means that, you know, I can strive. I can actually attain, you know, more God consciousness in a way that, you know, God you know, if Jesus was like Superman, like I can never, I'm not made up of the same materials, you know? So yeah, I'd probably explore God consciousness with Friedrich, Friedrich Schleiermacher. Yeah. That brings back some good memories for me from seminary. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's actually, yeah. The one week that we studied his work is, it really stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Ooh. I feel like this moment, one hopeful thing is that, you know, all these structures that are being disrupted and dismantled, um, while I know for some it feels, again, like feels personal because, you know, like the, the, the isms have been woven into who they are in a way that to dismantle them feels like they're being dismantled. Um, but I feel as though, you know, just like the, the courageous, the risk-taking um, speaking out against power, you know, some of it facilitated by technology, you know, like Twitter, for example, we've never had this kind of access before ever in our history, you know, to be able to like speak truth to power. Um, it's really kind of like sparking a different way forward, you know? Um, I think probably, you know, related to, you know, just my posture in general, but even like this whole thing about a Pope, right. Is it's moving us to more like kind of horizontal society yep, and less kind of like, you know, vertical, um, like power over, you know, that's a very kind of like white supremacy, colonialized type of thinking. Yep. But rather like a, you know, more um, like feminine energy, you know what I'm saying? Like truly, you know, I can't be free until you're free type of a posture. I feel like I'm seeing elements of that starting to be brought in in a very tangible and noticeable way now. So that feels like, you know, I feel like right now we're living this history, mo- historical moment where things are switching from what was to what will be. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Anyway, what else do you hope for the future of Christianity? My hope is that um, we will be open enough to um, whatever is going to be next. And that may be not denominations. It may be not our church buildings. It may be any number of stuff. Right. But that whatever is going to be next, you know, what I'm saying like that we can stay true to um, Jesus's mission and not the missions of our individual denominations, organizations, and et cetera, you know. Um, I'm super loyal to the UCC, but I'm a lot more loyal to the work to which God has called me, you know. So for right now, you know what I'm saying, like this is the place where I can live out that call. Um, but there may come a time, you know what I'm saying, like if the UCC is like, no, we gotta be UCC, that might be my, you know, that that's the only exit I'm really kind of seeing for myself is like, 
the work is here. It's not here, you know. Um, again, it's not like, you know, picking on UCC, just any, you know, organization, right? You know, church, people, group, whatever. My hope is that we can just be open to wherever the spirit may send us, you know, because that kind of structure and organization was relevant and meaningful in the times that they were set up. And, and as you were saying just now, you know, like whatever our world is being kind of like nudged toward, those same structures have to look different, you know? I think those who resist the different look will be the ones that kind of like break and fall away sooner than not. Yeah, no, I hear you because I'm ordained than disciples of Christ, kind of our, our, our kind of sister denomination. And I, yeah. I say the same thing. Like I'm married, like my call is to the church, like Big C Church. Yes. First and foremost. Yes. And I don't mean to diss on like you, denomination, right. but that's who my calling is to. So right. yeah, I hear you there. Um, well, where can people find out more about you and connect with you if they'd like to? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm in the process of, you know, like redoing my website and I feel like that's a constant thing that I say. Yeah. Um, but, uh, revlangeni.com. So R E V L A N G E N I.com is where I will be, um, putting all of my content are you on the you socials? Find me from there. Um, I am, but I'm not. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but it's Rev Longeni on the different socials as well, like Instagram and probably have a Twitter. Um, but yeah, I RevLongeni.com is probably like the place that'll you know at least for now will have like the most up to date and like active yeah participation. Yeah, more than Insta and Twitter. Well, thanks so much for this conversation. Really appreciate your time. Um. And I'll leave you with a word of peace. May God's peace be with you. Thank you. Also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.